0: So we are in week one now, official week one of our study, Experiencing God, and if you are in a group then you will have had your introductory week and you will have started your homework on week one and that's great, and if you're just following along with the sermons then there will be notes for you online. and. you'll be able to follow along with that and in this first unit we're talking about god's will in your life and as you're working through this unit you'll encounter this uh issue of serving god or in doing god's word that we have to serve god and as christians we hear this all the time that we are meant to serve god and i think as christians again it's something that we all struggle with at times i find there's three areas where we often struggle. Um, We can struggle in the area of inadequacy in that we feel we can't serve God, we feel guilt because we don't feel motivated to serve, or selfishness. We would just rather serve ourselves than serve God. And so this area of service is something that we struggle with internally that way. Um, and then there's another area, another problem with service or serving, is that being forced to serve or even feeling obligated to serve uh, causes us in our flesh uh, to feel oppressive, and it doesn't convey care or worth um, to the one being served. And it is especially true, and especially for us as Christians, as we consider serving God, that serving someone who doesn't even need our service can be in a way doubly oppressive because it seems wasteful and it belittles our effort. The person who doesn't need our service uh, is just giving me busy work to do or they're patronizing me, or they're doing it to lord it over me, um, or what they have me do uh, seems so small compared to what their capabilities are that it's insignificant and if what I'm doing is insignificant then doesn't that mean I'm insignificant? So there's all these things in our mind and in our flesh which can really complicate our uh, attitude and our stance towards God when we're asked to serve God and to be God's servant and to do God's will and that's what we're looking at in this unit and uh just thinking of an example like a, a rich hollywood uh, superstar or something like that and we're a servant in their home and and you know you're cleaning the 15th bathroom in the mansion that nobody has ever used or even seen but it's your job to make sure that it's cared for every day and uh, so those are the types of things when we think about serving god in our flesh we can sometimes think does god even need us like should we uh should he even need us is what we're doing even significant are we not just doing something so small uh, and that it doesn't make any difference but by contrast when we think about our service in our life we will serve gladly when we do so out of love, or out of compassion, and not out of obligation. And we will serve more selflessly those who need our service and who need our help. When we feel the person that we're serving needs our help, or we feel the person that we're serving uh, desires our assistance, then we'll gladly serve because it makes us feel worth. So the larger significance of the cause we serve and the love that we have for that cause results in greater joy in our service. And so when we're wrestling this week with this idea of God's will in our life and this Christian prerogative that we serve, then we have to ask ourselves, what kind of service is God's service? So if we look in Scripture, Jesus calls himself a servant. In Mark 10:45, the Son of Man came not to serve, be served, but to serve. And then Paul calls himself a servant in Romans 1.1 1, 1, and others often introduces himself as a servant. Peter calls himself a servant in 2 Peter 1.1 1, 1, and we're called to be servants as God's followers in First Peter 4.10 and Colossians 3.23 and 24 and other places. And so we are meant to be servants. We are called to be servants. Paul even says bond slaves or house slaves, house servants. But we also read in Acts... Seventeen, twenty-four to 25 Paul speaking to the Athenians says the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything and so here we are again Paul says God doesn't need our service. God isn't served by human hands. What can we do to serve God? Because he gives us everything. He gives us life and breath and all things. And so why are we called to be servants? But we are called to serve God. And Paul isn't lying. He's speaking as inspired by the Holy Spirit. And what he says fits perfectly with what we know about ourselves and God. It makes sense that God is not served by us. He is, in fact giving us everything that we have. And so what can we possibly add to God? If the service God asked for went straight back to him, that would be pointless because he doesn't need it. So if when we say we serve God, we literally mean we're serving God or giving him some benefit, like cleaning the bathroom in his mansion, or we are doing something to cook his food or serve at his table, then that would be pointless because he doesn't need that kind of service. And It would also be demeaning to us because anything we try to give back to God, we know would be insignificant and we know would come from him anyway. And so the service that God asks us for is not the kind of service that we first might think of. The kind of service that Paul talks about in serving God or Peter talks about in serving God or Jesus talks about even when he says he's serving God is not the kind of service that we normally think of in service. It can't be that kind of service because God doesn't need it. God is not a rich movie star or a powerful politician living in a mansion who wants or needs servants to polish his silver or to skim his pool or wash his Lamborghini. So then what is service to God? What are God's servants doing then? And if you're in a group during your introduction week you probably encountered this verse from Jesus. As Jesus is serving God, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. And that's John five nineteen. 19. So, or, or if we look at some of Paul's statements of his ministry service, he says things like, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings." So what Jesus is saying is that he only does what he sees the Father doing, for whatever the Father does, the Son does. So he's watching the Father, and the Father's doing something. And so he's serving the Father by joining the Father in what he's doing. Paul's statement says, I become weak, I become all things, I serve, I am a bond slave for the sake of the gospel. That I might save people. So he says, I'm not serving when I serve God, God directly. I'm serving and becoming a servant to all people to save them. And this is service to God. And so what we have to come around to see here is that serving God is not literally serving God. It's actually joining God in what he's doing in serving others. And from Genesis to Revelation, Old Testament to New, God is calling us to serve him by joining in the work he is already doing for us. God is not asking us to needlessly perform menial tasks that benefit him in some insignificant way. God is asking us to join him in a purpose far greater than we could possibly take on by ourselves. A task of eternal significance. God does not waste our service on himself because we could never serve him. He doesn't need us to serve him. God instead directs us to serve his plans and his purposes and his promises among his people. And we saw that last week in Gideon, and this week I want to briefly take a look at this in the life of Esther. The service God calls us to is the service of rescuing and redeeming the people that he has called out of bondage to the world all around us. So let's just take a quick look at the story of Esther, and you can uh, turn there in your Bibles, or tap there on your phones, uh, or follow along on the internet, wherever you're listening, and just look at the book of Esther, and we will skim quickly through it and understand the story of Esther and how she served. And so the situation here is that God has allowed Israel, his chosen nation, to be taken into exile for worshiping idols and for abandoning their trust in him. And Esther, an Israelite, one of the people of God, is living among the exiles in Persia, where Haman, a high official in the court of King Xerxes, uh, is dead set on eradicating the Jewish people. And he really wants to see them eradicated because one man, particularly Mordecai, the uncle of Esther, would not bow down and worship him, and we see this in Esther chapter 3. In verse 5 it says, And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Interesting, he's a bit of a coward. (laughs) He was upset, but he didn't want to take on Mordecai by himself. He disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So, as they had made known to him, the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Artaxerxes, or Xerxes. And so, he murmurs in the king's ear, and he manages to get a law passed that the people of Israel are to be eliminated, and he has 10,000 silver talents that he's willing to contribute to the treasury to help pay uh, for mercenaries, or to pay the king, whatever, anyone who helps out. And the law is written up and sent through uh, all the provinces in every language. And when this happens, Mordecai begins to mourn. He sees the posting of the law, he puts on sackcloth, he covers himself with ashes, and he begins to mourn and weep for the uh, terrible thing that is about to befall his people. And other faithful Jews cry out to God in the same way all through the land uh, of the king. And uh, Esther 4, three says, And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was a great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. And this is the traditional uh, posture of repentance and of crying out to God that the people of God would take. Now, before this, God had already begun to arrange for Israel's rescue, right? The king, and this is what was happening in the first couple chapters of Esther, and God was setting this up already. He was already at work because, remember, God is always at work around us, and God was already working. And so before this even happened, the king was unhappy with his queen for various reasons we don't have to get into and he had begun a search for a new partner a new queen and Esther uh, was discovered he sent out among the land to uh, look for eligible uh, women f- to become queen and Esther was discovered and had been joined to the group of women who were eligible Now to be chosen by the king to become his queen. So this is basically the bachelor Okay, the king has uh, sought out this group of beautiful women And he begins a process of having them live in his palace and getting to know them right sounds like a reality TV show That some of you might be watching. I'm not sure Uh, But the king is in complete control none of these women nobody in fact can even enter into the presence of the king unless he has summoned them to come now you're not gonna see that on the bachelor i don't think that would happen uh, not in our day and age but that's the reality of the king unless he summons you you don't enter into his presence or you can very easily be killed he will order your death and so. It's like The Bachelor, but with much stricter rules and higher stakes for Esther. And so Esther, who is a Jew, has this incredible proximity to the throne of the king. She's right there in the palace. She could walk in on the king, but it could also cost her her life. And so she is asking her uncle Mordecai, What should I do now that this law has been passed? I'm a Jew. I'm in the palace. What can we do? And we come to the turning point of this part of Israel's history. The crisis of faith that Esther encounters as her uncle says this to her. Because remember, God is always at work. He invites us into joining him. He speaks and invites us in through people around us his people and it brings us to a crisis of faith and so God was at work he's inviting Esther in and he's inviting and speaking through the words of Mordecai who says for if you keep silent at this time relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place but you and your father's house will perish and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this and then esther told them to reply to mordecai go gather all the jews to be found in susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days night or day and i my young i and my young women will also fast as you do and then i will go to the king though it is against the law and if i perish i perish Esther 4:14 4, to 16 this is the climax of the story or certainly the crisis of belief that Esther faces is she gonna to listen to God through Mordecai because Mordecai knows what's going on here he knows how God works among his people God is not calling Moses or Gideon or Esther to serve him he's calling them to serve his people and to accomplish his plans and his purposes and his promises among those people that he has chosen to rescue and so mordecai knows that god is doing this and he says to esther god is gonna god is going to accomplish his purpose one way or the other but who knows whether you have not come into the kingdom for such a time as this this may be your time esther god has been at work to put you where you're at and now is your time to believe in god or not and so as the book unfolds we learn how esther responds in obedience to the time and the place to which God has called her, how she sees that God is at work around her, and she can join God as his servant in working with God in rescuing his people. And if you haven't read Esther recently, again, I encourage you to go back and, and read uh, at least the last three chapters this week and get the details of how God uses Esther uh, to rescue his people. But in summary, Esther stands before the king. Uh, he invites her to speak. She exposes the plot of Haman. Mordecai ends up being rewarded. Haman ends up being um, killed. The law is revoked, and the people of Israel are saved. But you, you really should should read it to see how God works all those different things out it's uh, a pretty amazing uh, history of what took place uh, in the people of Israel and in Esther's life how God's justice is served through even a wicked king against the evil Haman and how Mordecai is rewarded and his people rescued but as we consider this as we as we just consider serving God In these events in Israel's history, in all the events in the history of God's people, he calls on people to be his servants. Not servants in serving him, but servants in joining in his plans to rescue his people. That is the kind of servant God is inviting us to be. God does not need us to polish his silver or to wash his Lamborghini, or to bring him food, or to feed him, or do anything like that. But he will give your life purpose in accomplishing something far greater than you could imagine. He will give your life purpose and significance and meaning as you serve him out of love and serve the people that he brings around you that need rescuing, who need you serving as God calls you to serve, to rescue them, out of darkness and into light to bring truth into situations of deception and lies to bring healing into lives that are hurting that is the servanthood that we have of God or as Paul says to serve the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ to bring the news of Jesus Christ to people so that they can hear the gospel and know that they can be rescued and they can be redeemed and I don't know about you So far, God has not put me in front of a king who could order my death. And that is not the time and the place that he has placed me. I don't think I can foresee that he would put me in that situation, but he may someday. Maybe I will have to make that choice that Esther made. But for most of us, The life that God asks us to lay down, or the life that God asks us to leave behind, when we think of laying down our life for God, or leaving our old life for God, the the life that God asks us to lay down, the life that God asks us to leave as his servants, is not at first necessarily our physical life, but it may be our comfortable life. It may be our self-centered life. The fact is true about servants about his servants. When servants are serving, they're not living their own life by their own direction. They're living under the direction of their master. That's a reality. That is true of servanthood. You aren't living your own life when you're serving. You're living the life that your master has you live. And that is the serving God calls us to. That part of servanthood doesn't change. God will ask us to serve others before ourselves. He will ask us to accomplish more for the kingdom than we could accomplish for ourselves. But the reward of that serving is that we are? what we accomplish doesn't belittle us in fact it gives us significance what we serve does not oppress us it sets us free it does not repress our identity in ourselves it establishes our identity in God's work and purpose in our life so again think of Esther Esther is not remembered or or rather Esther is not forgotten as just another pretty contestant on the set of Persian Bachelor the Royal Edition She's not just someone who is forgotten as uh, a good-looking girl who looked good in a dress. Esther is remembered as a champion in God's plan to rescue his people and a fulfiller of God's covenant promise to rescue and redeem. That is how Esther is remembered. Even though she might have thought she was just a contestant in who's going to make the prettiest queen contest, God had another plan for Esther and her life. God had a greater purpose for Esther than simply being beautiful. Esther had an opportunity, and she took that opportunity, to rescue and redeem God's people and see where God is working, listen to the invitation that God was sending through his person, through his people, Mordecai, her uncle, and hearing that invitation, believing that she was there for that time in that place. God is at work around us all the time. We are placed in a time and a place with a people here in Halliburton, at Lakeside Church, with brothers and sisters around us. We are planted in this time and place for a purpose, to serve God. Who knows? God's purpose is going to be accomplished in Halliburton anyway. But who knows that you, that me, that we were not placed here for such a time as this, to accomplish God's purposes we may have to give up our life of comfort and safety we may have to lay down that life we had planned of retirement at the cottage doing uh, only what we want to do doesn't mean you can't retire at the cottage God just may have a plan for you in your retirement at the cottage we may have to lay down uh, the life of comfort that we planned in terms of maybe a career maybe a life choice maybe a family choice that we are making maybe where we live but as we lay down that life and let our life serve God and God's greater purpose, then He can accomplish great things through us. God doesn't need us. He doesn't need us to serve Him and even to accomplish His plans. As Uncle Mordecai said to Esther, God will rescue His people by some other means if He must. But you, Esther, how do you know that God's first plan isn't you? And so that's the question we ask ourselves here in Unit 1 as we consider uh, what we are being taught and what we, how we are being asked to understand God's will and how God's will influences our life. Will we serve God in his plan? Will we serve God in his purposes and serve his promises? Take time to think about that this week as you're doing your homework. Let's pray.